0: The COVID pandemic put many sports on hold during 2020, with the industry roaring back in 2021 with the Tokyo Summer Olympics, as well as world cup qualifier matches with the return of sports came the return of sports statistics the royal statistical society's 2021 sports statistic of the year is the focus of this episode of stats and stories where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics i'm rosemary pennington stats and stories is a production of miami university's departments of statistics and media journalism and film as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department. Our guest today is Robert Mastro-Domenico, fellow of the Royal Statistical Society and owner and founder of statistical consulting company Global Sports Statistics. Mastro-Domenico has chaired the RSS's Statisticians for Society initiative, since its inception in 2017, and serves as RSS Statistical Ambassador, which involves insisting a media in their reporting of statistical issues. Master Domenico is also the Vice Chair of RSS's Statistics in Sports section, which chose this year's winners in the Sports Statistic of the Year competition. Robert, thank you so much for joining us again.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: When you are evaluating stats to be lauded as the statistic of the year, what sort of things are you looking for, particularly as this is the sports stats in relation to sports? Like what, what kinds of things stand out?
1: Well, we were kind of as a committee, the, the kind of remit was to look for something that would appeal to the public. Um, the RSS runner statistics of the year um, initiative very similar and this this kind of was born out of that and we wanted to kind of come up with something that would engage the public and you know something that was accessible and i think that was a key but um probably one of the big things that came out of us doing this was to get something that was positive because you know it hasn't always been that positive over the last year and and when we kind of came together as a committee when we brought together all the statistics it, it was surprising at how many kind of positive statistics we could find and you know we wanted to kind of come out with something that people could kind of say, that's great. You know, you know, as, as things get back to normal, this is a real positive kind of statistic and message that we can kind of.
2: Yeah. I I was wondering if perhaps he just wanted to be on stats and stories again. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it would be fully understandable (laughs) if that were indeed the case. I'm I'm curious, did you get a lot of, uh, a lot of submissions, a lot of, a lot of nominations for possible stats of the year in sports
1: so uh the rss have a statistics in sports section so it's a number of people who volunteer their time um they all most of us have worked within or and all have an interest in statistics and sports a background in statistics so a lot of this was looking for kind of stories published in the media things that we could kind of uh you know say this is a, a stat you know something that's fairly simple we didn't want to you know come up with some really convoluted machine learning method, you know, submission like that to say, this is a great sports start of the year, even though, you know, it could be some really good work. It had to be punchy, easily explainable. And so a lot of that was done by the committee. We had um, nominations from outside the committee. It was open to people within the RSS who saw, you know, the messages that we put out. Um, But, you know, most of it was done within the committee in their own time, looking for kind of media stories, statistics things that had been put out there so and a lot of this you know we were kind of looking at kind of bigger stories things that you know would engage the audience as opposed to really niche things that you know maybe wouldn't get much traction with people outside the rss but also engage those within the rss and you know the normal statistical community who aren't necessarily au fait with you know the minutiae of a lot of sports
0: so what was uh the stat of the year
1: well, wow, the winning statistic was 53%. And that is the percentage of Team GB athletes at Tokyo 2020 who were female. And it's the first time in its 125-year history that the team has had more female than male athletes at a Summer Olympic Games. And uh, the source of that was Team GB. And we thought that was, you know, a really kind of positive stat. Uh, and, and in many ways, uh, surprising but unsurprising. But it's just nice to kind of see that this hasn't happened. And I think uh, from the committee as well, a lot of us were surprised it hadn't happened before, but I think it's a really nice story. And this kind of coincided with, you know, a lot of great female results at the Olympics. We had loads of, uh, I'm not sure what, obviously I followed the Olympics, but, you know, in the UK, it's very UK centric on our kind of media and there were a lot of great stories of of athletes that hadn't had success previously which was really nice in some of the new sports that we'd never seen before and you know a lot of these were female athletes which i thought was really great and you know the whole story i think and the statistic kind of encapsulated what was a really great time in sports and the uk as a whole
0: is that a story that news media in in great britain picked up on and and reported on
1: um we we put it out there within the media but i think um more so what kind of happens during the Olympics and I'm not sure if it's the same in the US is they focus a lot on the athlete and the you know the sport and and everything because everything's so fast moving you know you've got lots and lots of kind of every days and new new stars made and we had a lot of those kind of new stars come out of you know nowhere you know our rowing didn't perform as well as it had done and you know there there were other sports that compensated for that and, and did much better and you know the the media because everything is is so dynamic it's kind of like you know a football t- tournament or you know a big event where you've got lots and lots of kind of people from around the world coming together the, the news is moving so fast so I think the focus was less on the gender more on the kind of the people but that kind of this I think if people look back and kind of think of this statistic in the context of the Olympics it kind of you know, magnifies what was a a real positive Games for the UK. And I think for the the world in general, I think there's a lot of countries that, you know, can look at what happened in Tokyo against all the kind of adversity and kind of say, that was really positive. And both for Olympics and Paralympics as well, just even put on a Games is, you know, mind-blowing. And some of the other statistics that were nominated kind of show a lot of the kind of adversity that came up against, you know, them putting on this, you know, this massive showcase.
2: I, yeah, it was it was pretty remarkable to me to think about athletes that were planning and prepping to to compete in one year and have to push that down the road for another year yeah. to to do that. That was remarkable, and and that seemed to be connected to to one of the other uh, one of the other statistics, sports statistics of the year that you that you cited. Do you want to talk about that that particular cost statistic that was?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, th- when we were coming up, you know, the the. 640 billion, which is a massive number, is the estimated cost in Japanese yen of delaying the Tokyo Olympics from 2020 to 2021. And that was from the Japan Times. And we kind of chose this just to kind of... And we had a few other nominations around the effect of COVID on sports and the cost to it. But just the magnitude of just moving an event like this back one year, is just colossal. And, you know, to put on a Games like this, you know, they should be commended. I mean the Olympics as a whole costs a lot of money. And I think, you know, there's loads of things against them. No fans, no travelling. You know, we've had an Olympics fairly soon. You know, we had the one in London. And the effect on, you know, the whole country with people coming in and the people within the country is massive, you feel it. But to do it in Tokyo under those conditions, it's, you know, crazy. You know, I think you guys have got an Olympics coming up at some point, you know, which I'm sure is... And I think, you know, it'll be great, you know, when people can travel and come, but to put this on in, you know, with no fans. And I think, you know, I think they did a great job. I I I watch all the Olympics all the time and I really enjoyed it. And, I, you know, I, I'm a sports geek through and through. And, you know, I, I love the fans in there, but I, I think, you know, the moments sometimes without the fans, you know, it didn't take away from it in a lot of instances. There were loads of great stories. And some events did have, you know, just the people, the, the sports people around it kind of, made those events, like the BMX and, you know, things like that, new sports that we hadn't seen. I think, you know, I thought it was really good. And, you know, but the cost and, you know, that number is astronomical. And, you know, there was probably a a rationale just to not do it. But I think, you know, from, you know, this kind of moving on and what we've got out of it, I think it was a real positive sign that they did do it up against all those odds.
0: I think it was interesting. And and we'll talk about, I think, a couple of the other stats that are on here. But the fact that what you chose as the winner and then the highly commended, none of them are really, they're related and connected to COVID, but none of them are really overtly Hmm, COVID hmm. stories. And I wonder if that is something that in the, in your group, you sort of discussed about like how to handle that. Cause I would imagine it's, it is a hard thing to avoid. Even in the introduction to this podcast, I referenced COVID because it is sort of that, that reality. I wonder if you guys were talked about like how to handle stories around covid and what you wanted to do when it came to them
1: i think a lot of this kind of happened organically because a lot of this was done you know independently people within the committee and even the you know submissions coming in we were just looking for kind of interesting statistics and there were lo- there were a lot of kind of covid ones that came in but the process of kind of elimination of getting those down to the kind of most interesting and the ones we thought would you know tell the best stories it kind of happened naturally because especially over the period we did it, there were a lot of kind of stories around, you know, if we think of soccer, for example, the effect of no no fans, what that had on, you know, home advantage, you know, how many away wins, things like that that at the time seemed, you know, huge and were really important. But as we kind of gathered more and more and, you know, more events started to somewhat get back to normal, we had the Euros here, which is another statistic that we mentioned, you Mm -hmm. know, things felt like we were kind of getting through COVID, you know, I don't think we'll ever get through right. it. <laughs> yeah. Probably always going to be here. <laughs> right. But, you know, the normality around it and the positiveness that kind of comes out of, especially here in the UK, of the lockdowns we had and, you know, not being able to go out and it these just kind of, it was way more organic than I think even the committee thought because at the start, I, personally, and I think a few others in the committee thought this was just going to be a super COVID-based statistic and everything we'd have would be COVID, COVID, COVID. But these ones kind of came out of it, which I think is great. And I think those organic processes of just kind of gathering what's out there, and then you know, between us, we had a pan- we have a kind of review panel who would go through what the best ones were, or mm-hmm. what we thought would be the best ones. It, it was it felt good to kind of come up with this. And I think this there wasn't a lot of the time on the panels. There's you know, a unanimous kind of. There's not always a unanimous winner. This kind of was really easy to do. Oh, really.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so I, I, as a quick follow-up, did, did did you have a specific rubric, or uh, you know, set of criteria that you were using to evaluate these stories? I mean, how, how did you how did you process these nominated pieces?
1: Um, a lot of it was kind of based on uh, we just went through them. It, it would seem really kind of we had a, a, a meeting, all our kind of judging panel, and one by one we just go through it. Um, once people liked once people didn't you know process of voting so, um, so survivor
2: sports statistics story you voted exactly. some off the island some got to stay yep. you know
1: we we're a convoluted method over 20 weeks uh, television <laughs> some um, anonymous no, voting no exactly yeah you vote on phone tweet in who you like but it was much easier than we thought we we kind of planned out i think a few meetings we thought we take need a while to do this and actually, this happened quite quickly and it was yeah, really easy to do. And I think, you know, again, the kind of positiveness of some of the stories and, you know, the, the 53% was, I think, quite interesting. You know, it surprised a few people, you know, on the, the panel. And it was a simple statistic that, you know, was positive and was timely. And, you know, in the end, we didn't have any kind of opposition to the winner.
0: You're listening to stats and stories and today we're talking to Robert Mastro Domenico about the RSS's sports statistic of the year. Um, I am going to ask a question about the one uh, stat that seems overtly COVID-related related that is on here um, about this um, 66% number um, in connection to um, the euro 2020 do you so do you want to talk us through that as one of it's one of the highly commended stats.
1: Yeah, so we had kind of two around uh, Euro 2020. And obviously, there's the 82%, which was the estimated average share of the UK viewing population who watched England's defeat against Italy in the final. And this 66%, um, according to a survey, the percentage of the British public who felt attendees at Euro 2020 fixtures in the UK should have mandatory proof of vaccination. And this was, we, we kind of thought this was quite a nice one because it encapsulated how people thought. About vaccinations, COVID as a whole, our kind of protocols around you know people going back to sports because for us, um, especially the Euros was the first kind of those those big events you know the final, the semi-finals, and I was at one of the semi-finals was the first kind of time we had masses of people in a stadium, and it was it, I mean I had a great time, but it was very strange to be in a stadium with I, I think I was there it was like sixty thousand, and in the final it, it got went up higher. But, you know, that this all kind of... We went from nothing to something really big really quickly, and we thought this kind of encapsulated how people thought about that, and also how we should move on, because the plans for a lot of sporting events after this was to have people back in the stadiums. And if you follow any of the things like the Premier League, you'll see that's the case now. Um, And so we just kind of thought this was quite timely, and it it kind of captured what was a big kind of point of opinion in the UK. You
2: know, when I was... Watching some of the the Euros, the the, the the how the stadiums were filled in different countries was so different. Yeah. I almost think yeah, that yeah. The, the if you just looked at the range of the percentage of, of attendance that was permitted, it differed by country. You know, with you know that was in a, a very dramatic way. And then this, you know, to see this as kind of this attitude within kind of the UK. Uh, population towards towards the attendance at the the last events i thought that was interesting so I, I i would have i would have been really curious now that you've said this you know what what was the distribution of attendance on on these d- different venues throughout the that tournament
1: yeah i mean it was so this is probably i i'm a, my kind of main job is you know my main research focus is football so this was a big thing for me from a kind of research and professional point of view because our clients and that deal in this kind of thing and you know we've got a we had a tournament unlike any other where everybody's playing in different countries at a time when you probably shouldn't play in lots of countries and be moving around the whole setup seemed crazy and you know you know they could have moved it to one country kept all the teams isolated but no everybody moves around but again they they managed it pretty well and you know there wasn't too many people thought the whole tournament would fall apart on like you know a positive COVID case. And we, there was a case obviously in England where a few players mixed in England Scotland game, and that caused a slight problem. But as a whole, the tournament went very well. But you're obviously, every country had their own attitudes towards, you know, how many people could be in attendance, which is based on maybe where the country was in their state of the pandemic. And you then kind of link that back to lots of teams having home advantage all through, England being one of them, Italy being another, you know, who played all their group games at home. England essentially had the closest thing they've had to a home tournament since Euro 96 and so you know they had one away game in Italy and everything else was played at home so you know for me it wasn't a surprise that we got uh, you know these two teams in the final and you know I, I thought England that was one of their better chances to win something and you know they came really close and you know did really well.
0: I so I'm a I'm a usually a fan of the German national soccer team. Yep. Um but I man, I was really rooting for England and that was I was watching that game in a German restaurant here in Oxford and it was
1: heartbreaking. <laughs> my surname's my surname's Italian, so you know it was, oh. it was a pretty good night for me and yeah. You know, none of my friends wanted to speak to me for a while. <laughs>
2: You know, I, I, the one thing I really liked when, when you talked about the, uh, the, the percentage of the, the UK viewing population who watched the, this, this game, this final, I loved how you communicated this in contrast to other kind of events. Yep. You know, so you, you put that percentage up against a couple of other reference events. So would you like to, to just sort of share with the, the people listening what were those other references were?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we had, for the, for the final, it was a peak audience of 31 million, and that's not included in streamer services or public spaces. It was, you know, a massive audience. And at the time, you know, that was the most watched broadcast since uh, the funeral of Princess Diana in 1997, which, you know, was a huge event. But um, we compare that to, say, the 28 million for Boris Johnson's first lockdown address in March, which at the time, to me, felt like it was a no-brainer. That would be, you know, one of the biggest viewed thing ever, because... You've got a complete captive audience, but this kind of changed it. And I think the kind of wave of emotion through the country from not just football fans, but everybody kind of got it onto the team. You know, they're in, engaged in the team. And I think, you know, that England team is a, a quite a positive team to follow. And, you know, the, a lot of the kind of players involved and, and, you know, it's different to kind of previous iterations of the England team. You know, it kind of engaged a lot of people because the the way they are with the media and media with them and the way they were on the pitch, you know, it, and it grew, you know, that expectation that, we, you know, historically in the UK, there's always been a big thing about, you know, Euro 96, you know, the tournament that never was that they came so close and everyone kind of felt this could be the one. And it was a step further and people forget this is, you know. A great performance to get to a final in a, in a tournament like this, uh, you know, in any time. And, and this is a really young team. And so it kind of really engaged the audience. And I also think, you know, the period of which it was coming out of lockdown, things going back to normal people, just um people being able to go to a, a bar or, you know, to someone's house, you know, which things people now probably, even myself, I forget, you know, not that long ago, I couldn't go to anybody's house but people having, you know, the weather was good, times were good. It really engaged the audience. And, and, you know, that was felt to us like a really positive statistic, the number of people. And it's so high, given not everyone likes football. Football generally isn't watched by that many people in the UK. You know, the Premier League is, you know, popular, but the viewing figures are nowhere near that. But it just kind of took on a life of its own and grew through the tournament, which was great. And I think the tournament did a lot for kind of people you know, this whole getting back to normal. But it kind of showed, you know, there is a kind of another side. We can get through COVID and, you know, life can be maybe better than it was before. And, you know, this is a great summer. So,
2: you know, as, as you've gone through this process, as, as you think to the future about kind of this, what stories are coming to to your mind also that kind of have emerged out of COVID? I mean, because you, you said that was, when you were watching the, the Euros, you were looking at kind of the different, you know state how how filled stadia were and and what that might mean for performance of home teams versus you know in other competitions are there particular questions sort of sport related performance questions that really have have leapt up and emerged for you as as you think about us coming out of covid
1: i kind of think um it's if, if we were to take football as an example it's kind of what is the new normal i know that's a real cliched answer but you know, when do we go back to what does What does it look like now? Has COVID changed the way the games played? You know, you could take some of the American sports that were played during COVID. You know, does the lack of fans, does fans coming back in, does it change how the game is? It, you know, and we don't know. And I think it goes back to kind of the effect of COVID at the time. You know, nobody knew what the effect of sports would be because we've never had an event like this. So everything was new. And it's how how will things kind of change as we go back to what people would consider pre-COVID times but you know you've always had this and you know from a kind of sports point of view we always use the past to predict the future it, from a statistical point of view how, wh- how what does that mean going forward and how's that going to be and I think it's just really interesting to see and we won't see it straight away but we'll be able to look back and say you know what was the effect did, did things just go back to normal or did it have a lasting effect on you know what we expect in any kind of sporting event and it's I think it's just really interesting to just see how that's going to kind of play out.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I My daughter is in the marching band here at the university, and I went to um, one of our away games at the University of Cincinnati uh, Stadium. They're ranked number eight in the country. They're a huge school, and it's it was a situation where um, you didn't know if anyone was vaccinated around you, and people were in masks <laughs> yeah. and not masks, and it was such a weird experience because I was excited, and I love American football, but I also felt nervous about being in that space and i keep wondering like when when are we going to stop feeling nervous about being in all these physical spaces together
1: yeah and i, I think you know in the uk it, i kind of we have uh, not so for me like match of the day and things like that where we kind of it's from a football point of view you you watch the highlights and it it feels eerily strange and i've even got on the telly next to me we've got the champions league on right now because we're obviously recording this in evening in the uk the, think things don't look any different and it's like it, it feels like we're kind of getting there but we, we still have that kind of effect of you know wearing masks and the covid protocols and things like that and I, yeah I kind of think I, I mean I'm, I've always been a believer that you know people will kind of deviate back to the norm pretty quickly they you know we we just kind of evolve and get on with it and but it's just nice to see sport and I think in many ways it kind of makes you appreciate it more i don't know you know the story you going to a game and and that kind of thing of not having it and then having it back i remember going to that euro semi-final and being like wow this is like unreal but i've been to big games before and big crowds but it just it's been so long and yeah it's it's nice i just think sport brings so much and you know that's kind of why I'm into it. You know, the statistics, I, I kind of said this yesterday. I don't necessarily love statistics. I really like it and it's good to me, but I love sport and I love kind of bringing those two things together because I can kind of, you can make both work. And yeah, I just, you know, it's just great. I think, you know, the kind of the rebirth of sports out of this is, is such a positive thing.
2: So, so you describe yourself as a, as a huge football fan and also Olympics. What, what, what would be your next sport? that that you would that you would follow as a fan but also explore from from sort of statistical concerns and issues
1: i mean i i've kind of done from a statistical point of view pretty much any sport so the american sports always uh an interesting one you know that they're really interesting when you compare them relatively to say you know football things like tennis a good sport horse racing but anything that's got data is is of interest really so you know You've got even things like esports and things that have come up that are newer that are, you know are really kind of interesting spaces to explore because it kind of, you know, I think there's talk of you know esports being you know Olympic based or in in a period of time because it's it's just something new and it kind of takes you know it's a step beyond kind of what we expect from traditional sports, but I'm I kind of like anything that's got that kind of competitive element to it the randomness I think that's what you know. That's the beauty of sport, really. You know, it's not always great, but it's always random. And, you know, you don't get that from everything. And it's, I think that's what draws people in. I kind of said, especially like, you know, being a, if you think of like an American football fan or any kind of sport fan, there's only really one winner and everyone else is disappointed. And, and, you know, that's how sport is. It's generally disappointment with very few lights of kind of positivity in it. But we love it because it's the expectation, the the what if and the randomness that surrounds it. And I kind of, you know, that from both a kind of fan and statistical point of view makes sport great because there are not too many things like that where you can bring the two together.
0: As a Cleveland Browns fan, I just felt in my being all of that about the randomness of (laughs) there's only one winner and lots of disappointment. That is my history as a Browns fan. So, uh, Thank you so much for joining us again, Rob. Oh,
1: no worries. It's been great to be on.
0: Yeah, and thanks
2: thanks to the RSS for uh, for putting this on and sponsoring the Sports Statistics of the Year. It's kind of it makes for a fun conversation, and it's neat to think about what this might mean and,
1: and, and what really draws your eye. So thanks again. No worries. Thank you, guys. Take care.
0: Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to Stories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.